Well, I always find it amusing uh, when you hear on the news someone being accused of something, a public figure or a celebrity, and it goes through all the accusations and says they've done this and done that. And then, without a doubt, at the end of that report, it always says such and such has vigorously denied the accusations. You know, we hear it again and again. The world teaches that wisdom is not to fess up, but rather to uh, hide things, not to admit fault, keep a, a level of plausible deniability, the world tells us. And that may seem like wisdom, perhaps, on a public relations level, but I think we know uh, that uh, that's not actually uh, the case, particularly when it comes to personal relationships. Um, I was uh, reading uh, in a relationship blog by a Buddhist therapist called The Art of the Mindful Apology. And she says, the research clearly shows that love means saying, I'm sorry, a lot. I don't know if you've uh, felt that to be true in your life. I imagine you've experienced the life-bringing nature of an apology in a relationship. When you push through the difficulty and through the impulse against it, or you may have experienced the opposite, being weighed down with guilt and regret when you've done something to hurt someone. So we've been talking about uh, in this series uh, how wisdom means listening to, to the life-bringing word of God that paints reality as it really is. See, saying sorry, it means more than just saying something because it means embracing reality, as ugly as that might be. To really say sorry, to repent, well, it means humbling ourselves. It means uh, confronting the fact that we are to blame. That actually, when, when you think about it, sounds very painful. It doesn't sound wise. But the payoff is great because it's the only way towards reconciliation, towards the mending of broken relationships. For reconciliation, you need uh, two ingredients. You need Forgiveness, and you need repentance. Now, you can have one without the other, but without both, you cannot have reconciliation. Reconciliation brings life. And forgiveness, one half of that, is a huge topic in itself. It's not unrelated, uh, but today we're going to focus on the other side. Repentance, the apology, saying sorry. And in our best moments, I think we do grasp uh, how uh, it is wise to live a life where we apologise often, but it's difficult. I find it uh, extremely difficult. It's countercultural, And so we're going to uh, look at this topic today by having a look at particularly the first part of, uh, of Psalm 51. Now, um, you do have uh, some space for notes in the outline that you've got, and also a copy of the text of that psalm. And I'm grateful, actually, that Neil pointed out the title is missing from our, uh, our printing of the, the passage in your outlines, but that's actually part of the, the original text as well, unlike some of the summaries you read uh, in other parts of the Bible that the editors have added later. The titles of the Psalms are there originally. They're very important to understand uh, what's going on. And this one, this Psalm, well, it gives a clear setting for when it was written after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now, that sounds bad, in itself, but if anything, is perhaps underplaying the actual uh, tragedy of the situation uh, that was going on. You may have heard the story, but here it is in, in summary. Uh, you can read more about this in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. 
But basically, David was the king of Israel. He was um, at home in his palace while his army was out fighting. He used his, his power to, to really just summon and then sleep with Bathsheba. She was Uriah's wife, who was actually fighting for David at the time. And so then David tried to cover his tracks by bringing Uriah home from war. But Uriah wouldn't go home uh, while his friends were still out on the battlefield. So that didn't work. So David then um, told his army commander, Joab, to do a kamikaze assault on a town that would get Uriah killed. And it did. And um, some other uh, uh, army members also lost their lives as well. This all from the king of Israel, supposed to be leading God's people to live good and godly lives. And David thought he'd gotten away with it. He'd kind of clumsily covered things up. Uh, but he uh, was confronted by Nathan the prophet who came to him and told him this story about a king and his sheep and the king stealing uh, a, a sheep off a, a, a poor man. And it uh, confronted David with his hypocrisy. He realised that he was that man. And so uh, that's the context. We're not sure of the exact timeline, but here in Psalm 51, we see um, David as he comes before God. Listen to how the psalm starts, uh, as David has realised that he's been found out. He says, have mercy on me, O God. He throws himself before God. And you might, at that point, think it's strange that David comes before God and not off to apologise to Joab or to the widows of the men who happened to get killed as well, or Bathsheba. No, no, he throws himself before God. And this is key to understanding deep repentance. He realises that far beyond Bathsheba, far beyond Uriah, Joab, the army, the nation, um, his family, all the other people, this is a direct offence against the God of the universe. You might have noticed in verse 4, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Of course, he has wronged all those others and, and more that we don't even know about. But David is going to the heart of the matter here because God cares deeply for all those who are wronged. Um, all of it is remembered by God, even the offence against dead Uriah, who died not even knowing what had, what, what had been done to him, or the, the men who died in that battle as well, who just thought they were doing a crazy battle, didn't realise that it was at the behest of a self-centred king. God takes it personally. It's like when you see something, some injustice happening to someone else. You feel that it's not right. And it, it, it feels even more intense the closer that person is to you relationally. Uh, you, you feel offended by what's happened to them. God is our maker and he loves what he's made. God is grieved by these actions that have caused so much hurt. But more than the actions themselves... Our hearts grieve God. See, because all sin starts in the heart. It starts by desiring something other than God. If you were to love God perfectly, if I was to love him perfectly, we would never hurt another person. David gets to this point. He sees that actually what's happened is not an anomaly, just some actions that he's made a mistake on. No, it's, it's not just this one time. This is a consistent pattern. He says, surely I was sinful from, from birth in verse 5. And he's not saying this to excuse himself, to say, oh, it's my upbringing. Um, you know, I, I couldn't control things myself. What he says is only increasing the tragedy of his, his culpability. His sin has a long history in him. It's not a little speck on an otherwise squeaky clean life. David, 
And, and we have been essentially self-absorbed, self-centered for as long as we can remember. And it's out of that that these murderous actions grow. Let me give you a, a, a less intense example of, of something I've been thinking about recently. I run late to things. I don't know if anyone else is afflicted with this, but I, I, I often run late to things. I say I'll be somewhere and I'm not. And I apologize to people usually when I arrive. And whether the quality of that apology is sufficient or not, I don't know. But underneath, there's something else going on. I've noticed a pattern. Sometimes I can excuse it by saying, oh, there was traffic. But that's not really what's going on. That might be part of it. See, I have this sense, I think, that time is slipping away. You know, this sense that I need to, to do things, to finish something, even if that's as insignificant as finishing, like reading an article uh, before I go and meet someone. It, it doesn't make any sense, right? But I failed to realise that time is in God's hands. I failed to realise I'm not the centre of the world, that he doesn't require anything of me. I don't need to get any more knowledge or do any more stuff. He requires me to, to love him and care for others as I care for myself. And so do I say sorry to someone if I'm late? Usually, yes, that's good. That's what I should do. But that's the tip of the iceberg. As, as long as I'll uh, um, not deal with the, the heart issue, I'll keep doing it. As long as I, I'm not content in the time God has given me. Uh, and trust that I don't need to do more. See, our sin is against God, primarily, because it stems from an untrusting heart, and because, as we said, God cares more about the hurt that, that we cause to people, even than those people themselves. And that's what David realises as he stares at his sin. As bad as it is when he sort of first, in that moment uh, of confrontation with Nathan, goes, oh, oh, I've been found out, this is really bad. As he looks at it, it gets worse. But there he is, he owns it, he lays out the worst of it and says, that's me. That's a really difficult thing to do, but an essential first step in an apology, saying, that's, that's me, owning it. He doesn't then just reflect on what he's done, he actually says sorry. This psalm, of course, isn't just, uh, um, I guess, an instruction manual on uh, apologies. It's a prayer to God that, that David prays. This is what he asks God in verses 1 and 2. He says, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. So he's realised that uh, he can't undo things. This isn't going to disappear. Uriah's not going to come back. And it's all because of him. I wonder if you know that kind of feeling. On one, one level or another, I, I think we do. The reality is we can't undo things. You can't unsay things. You might say, oh, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. But it's out there. You can't unthink things. David can do nothing but throw up his hands and ask for mercy. He's asking, he's asking for mercy, for forgiveness. He's not saying, look, I'm sorry. I, I feel sorry that I've been caught. I wish I got away with it. He's not saying, oh, I'm sorry that people got hurt. He's not saying, well, I'm sorry, but also Joab shouldn't have done the thing he knew was wrong either. No, no, he's, he's owning his own actions. And what he asks for, well, it's what he desires more than anything else in that moment. And what, I guess, we may have some experience of desiring so greatly as well, as we're weighed down with, with a guilt. He's asking for what he's done in all its horror to be blotted out, he says, wiped away, like there's writing in a book of what he's done and it's somehow swept off the page. Or for what he's done to be washed away, to be cleansed, like a, a, a garment that's got a stain in, 
being wonder-soaked and is coming up bright and clean. David asks for forgiveness. He wants God to acknowledge the wrong that he's done, but not to count it against him anymore. And that's scary when you think about it, asking God for that. Uh, because if God really cares deeply uh, for the loss of Uriah, more deeply even than his widow Bathsheba, if God really does know the depth of our uh, uh, twisted hearts that the sin comes out of, then coming before him is frightening. I think coming before a human being to ask them for forgiveness and admit what I've done is frightening. Coming before God is, is more frightening than that, or should be. But pause and see the beauty of this. It should be frightening. There shouldn't be hope. But David knows that there is because he knows the character of the God he's coming, uh, coming to, to, to bow before. See what it says in verse 1. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. It's God's committed love. It's key to who God is. It's his commitment to do good for people who trust him, even if they don't deserve it. He can be depended on to have mercy because of his great compassion. It's what will drive him to send his own son, Jesus, to make it possible for David to be washed clean, to quench his righteous anger on behalf of Bathsheba, Uriah, Joab, the army, the nation, etc., to buy costly forgiveness for David. This is, this is wonderful. See, forgiveness has been offered. It remains there a standing offer. The only thing required for reconciliation with God is repentance because forgiveness is already there. Half of it is done already. And the second, half, the second part of the psalm uh, talks about how this relationship is mended as David looks forward to the future. Uh, he talks about the possibility of joy, gladness again, God's face not being hidden from him, but being hidden from his sin. Uh, he talks of a new spirit, a willing spirit, a life of praise, a heart humbled before God, a life that teaches others. That is full, restored relationship with God, reconciled. All we need to do to grasp hold of that forgiveness is repent. He has mercy according to his unfailing love. That's, that's what becoming a Christian is really about, doing that, I guess, for the first time. Once we turn to God this way, though, it's, it's, it's once for all, uh, we stand forgiven before God, but it's also what being a Christian is about as well. That first time, that opens up a life of repentance, a life where saying sorry is the norm, because we, we keep sinning, we keep becoming aware of sin, so we keep repenting, because God wants the best for us. He wants life for us. A wise life is one of growing transparency and humility, a growing hatred of all the things that destroy life and our part in them. Uh, a wise life is one of relationships that are mended and whole. That's why saying sorry is wise. And so that posture before God, well, that posture of repentance then flows out into our relationship with others. Having come before the one who's most wronged, it only makes sense then to take the apology and lay it bare before those who've also been wronged. As repentance is vital for relationship, uh, for reconciliation with God, it's also vital for reconciliation with others. And it's true with other people, unlike with God, we don't have assurance of mercy or forgiveness, but our part is still uh, to, when we've done wrong, to repent. Uh, the Bible talks of, of Christians as people of the light. We heard that in our second reading. Uh, it talks of 
people who sp- uh, talks of Christians as people who speak truth, who don't hide who they really are. That means being open about things as uncomfortable as how we've wronged each other. And it takes the same process as with God, the process of owning uh, in all its ugliness what we've done, of taking responsibility in the presence of that person that you've wronged and then asking them for forgiveness. Some kind of restitution may also be appropriate. That is doing or giving something to repair the harm in some small way. Uh, But that flows naturally from a genuine repentance. See, to say sorry is real wisdom for this new year. To say sorry initially to God and then to say sorry continually to God and to say sorry to others. Forgiveness from God is assured if we do. So what, it's so good. What's, what's stopping us? What could stop us from living lives of repentance in 2022? I want to just finish by making two observations about this psalm that help us as we come to this difficult task. The first observation is that David needed help to bring his sin into the light. We see it in the title of the psalm, when the prophet Nathan came to him. We need help too, because our first impulse is to hide. That's the wisdom the world gives to us, to vigorously deny any accusations made against us. That's our impulse when we're caught out to dash into the darkness and cover our tracks. Or if it's not hiding the deed itself, It might be hiding our responsibility in it, making excuses to avoid an apology, saying, well, I actually didn't mean this, it was an accident, I'm not really to blame, which may in part be true, but in all our bluster to point out all the mitigating factors, the things we didn't do or think, the things we couldn't control, we'll miss the important part, that is the bit left over, which excuses don't cover, the part we're responsible for. David's sin was kind of brought out into the light when Nathan came to him in a way that he couldn't avoid. So we we too need help with that. In fact, hopefully that very thing happens as we meet on Sundays, as we read and consider God's word together. It shows us who we really are. It reveals uh, the truth, our need to apologize, as we see ourselves perhaps in different characters perhaps like in David in Psalm 51, or as we look at the truth uh, that the Bible teaches about darkness and light, and we think, yeah, maybe there's that part of my life that is in the darkness and needs to be pulled into the light if I'm to live as a child of the light in Ephesians 5. The Bible tells us truth. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but it's good. So we need to read it personally and carefully. Uh, One way, of course, to get into the daily habit would be to use uh, those uh, daily Bible readings that I was talking about earlier. If you're not currently reading the Bible daily, that is a great way to start. And it's very, very worthwhile. Here's another way uh, to confront the truth. Listening to each other in the way that David listens to Nathan. Because we're trying to live as people of the light. We're trying to help each other live that way. Uh, The Bible says uh, in in Matthew, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them, tell them what they did wrong, keep it between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them back. And here's uh, another verse. This one's from Galatians. It says, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. So you've got two verses there. That's both, uh, it's an example of both the person who's sinned against um, 
and others who are seeing the situation from the outside, going to a person and, and, and pointing out to them, helping them pull out uh, their sin into the light. That's extremely challenging, I think. It's not something that, that I'm in the habit of doing or experiencing myself. And today's not really about encouraging us to, to rebuke other people, although that's important. But rather, as, as people who are wise in uh, uh, saying sorry, being ready, open, and inviting of others to speak into our lives to help us confront the truth. All right, that was my first observation. Here's the second observation about the psalm that I think can help us. That it's public. That David says it out loud. See, David's the king of Israel. And yet, rather than having, a, I guess, a publicity campaign to cover up his shortcomings, his sins are known. His own confession is, is out there. It's, it's here in this poem to be used in public worship. It's not really a, a common approach for leaders that we know, I don't think. Now, we don't understand uh, or we don't know what he did in terms of um, asking for personal forgiveness from the individuals involved. Uh, it's just not recorded. But it's reasonable to think that he, he probably spoke to him, given that he's, he's speaking about this publicly. Uh, saying it out loud is important because the point of repentance is restoration of relationship. Actually apologising to the person you've wronged, well, if you can, is, is vital. It makes reconciliation possible if forgiveness is offered. So saying it out loud is important for that reason. But here's the other reason it's important. It also gives us uh, some assurance that we've been serious about our confession. See, if you're not willing to admit uh, what you've done to the person you've done it to, then you might wonder, have you really owned it? Have you really repented before God? I would suggest that it's possible that you've really just been talking to yourself, letting yourself off the hook, still hiding. That's not really living in the light. What about for when we've sort of stuffed up, but we're not really sure who we've sinned against, who to talk to? Well, like David made his confession public, we, we can do public confession too. Uh, we will, in a little while, actually, this morning, say a confession together. And that's a wonderful thing because it, it humbles us before each other. Uh, we're each admitting, as we say those words, the reality of our own need for cleansing and blotting out of what we've done. And as you, you head out after we've confessed together this morning, you'll have heard the people around you confess. They will have heard you confess. So make the most of the confessions that we say together. They're not merely a, a rote statement to pass the time. They're, they're admitting our guilt before others. Or well, here's a, a final suggestion to make things more personal. And this perhaps is uh, one of the, the most difficult suggestions, is choose someone to actually tell about the things you are bringing before God. Confess to someone else. Bring those sins unmistakably into the light, into the presence of another person to look at in all their ugliness. And then that person can make real for you the promises of God. They can tell you the truth uh, in a voice other than your own voice uh, that's not just bouncing around in your head. The truth that God forgives, that his mercy is great and they can pray with you. Perhaps there's someone in your small group or a, a good Christian friend. It is a, a daunting prospect 
And it's not, it's not essential to talk to someone else, but it's a gift. See, saying sorry is a huge challenge. It is difficult, but it's wise. It brings life. We need to start with repentance before God and let it flow out to others. And we need help to do it. We have God's word to examine us. We have each other to apply it to us. We have uh, one another to admit to and draw these things uh, out from hiding in the darkness into the light. The potential payoff, though, the, the, the payoff is worth it because it makes reconciliation possible, restored relationship possible. Forgiveness, of course, is also required and not assured when we come to people. But when it comes to God, forgiveness is offered before we even consider repenting. He's promised to hide his face from our sins. And so he gives us forgiveness and he frees us to live life in the light, lives of repentance. That is a wise life. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you are so merciful and compassionate. Lord, we pray you'd help us know ourselves, even in the, the, the ugly parts. And so uh, appreciate your mercy more as we come to you in repentance. Amen.